Good morning, City Church. I'm not sure if this is you, but for me, I know that every week right now feels like a month. feels like it's been multiple months since uh, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, for most of the folks I've spoken with, uh, it's not even uh, necessarily a day-to-day thing and how they're feeling. It's more like hour-to-hour. How are they feeling? How are they processing all that's happening in the world around them? And uh, it's, it's sort of like there's this low-grade hum of fear and anxiety, uh, threats to our lives or our livelihoods or our loved ones. And these threats are real, but it's hard to determine um, how, how close they are, how much they should be impacting our day-to-day life right now. But they are having an impact, and that's clear, not just out there in the world and other parts uh, of the world, but here in Fort Worth. One, one just kind of interesting thing I've seen is that uh, the Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission, TABC, relaxed their standards, allows for restaurants to deliver alcohol. And somewhere in that, Texas is now the, the le- leading the charge on consuming alcohol in our country. And uh, alcohol is not the problem. Uh, there, there's some very good drinks that are being delivered to people, and there's nothing wrong with the drinks. It's when we hide in those drinks when we hide in alcohol from the threats that loom large in our mind. That's what's happening for a lot of people in Texas, I'm sure. Uh, Another way that you see just the low-grade kind of hum in the background over just threat hanging over the heads of um, our uh, our society in this moment, you could see uh, Cook's Children's reported a spike in child abuse. In one week, there was a month's worth of cases of domestic violence towards kids. Uh, just in one week, uh, you covered a whole month, and uh, and so that's I think that's just even testifying more and more. Just weeks are like months right now, and this stress and anxiety is working its way out into our lives. And part of the challenge of these moments is not the actual tragedy that's unfolding. I think it's it's uh, it, which is which is hard, but it's the threat of future tragedy that hangs over our heads. Uh, one doctor on the West Coast described this as pre-traumatic stress disorder. Does that ring a bell with you? Kind of, uh, it's it's not post-traumatic. Something that has happened that's now triggering stress. It's something that she believes will happen. She knows what is coming, and she's traumatized by the realness of those thoughts that she is living. A friend of mine, Ross Lester, who's a pastor in Austin, he's he said it this way um, in terms of just the thoughts that we have and how those. Uh, play into our day-to-day lives. He, he said this, he said, I've come to realize that the traje- trajectories of our lives are shaped by the thoughts that we think. And the thoughts that we think are shaped by what we give our attention to over and over again. In an age of worry, and I would add, uh, in a season of heightened worry, we need to get a hold of our minds. And that's, that's why I'm excited to go through the Gospel of John as a church in the weeks that are leading up to Easter. That was actually always our plan in the weeks leading up to Easter, and now even more so. I think this is absolutely the right place for us to be as a church, the right thing for us to be doing. And, and the reason why is, is this. John, and the, the, the author of the Gospel of John, a guy named John, he says in chapter 20, at the end, end of this whole thing, uh, he says this, John 20, 30, and 31, He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One of of Jesus' disciples, this is one of Jesus' closest friends writing this, uh, I believe that the Spirit of God can use this gospel to do exactly what John intended for it to do. 
for you to be able to behold Jesus and believe in Jesus and have life in his name. And, and so in beholding and believing, uh, that, that belief is not just a momentary check the box camp experience thing that you're doing. That's a whole life trust. That's what, what John means when he says believe. And we're going to see that over the course of this gospel. But he wants us to set our eyes on Jesus so that our minds and our thoughts are on Jesus so that we would put a whole life trust in Jesus. And, uh, and so I hope, I hope you journey with us through the book of John uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, not just in these messages, but actually in the daily posts that we're going to put out for, for, again, just not not day by day, but hour by hour, needing to uh, have my eyes drawn again and again to Jesus. And so we're going to try to uh, get this gospel out in front of us as, out in front of us as much as we can. And so, uh, not just in these messages, but in daily posts that we'll, we'll, be, put, we'll be putting up, you can you can engage with us, journey with us uh, through the Book of John. And today, because we're keeping these messages fairly abbreviated, I'm just going to highlight a few things from the chapter from chapter one of John. And so, starting in John one, verse one, he says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And what, what so what John does in the first uh, first section, the first eighteen verses, uh, what he does is lays out really a, the foyer of the whole of the whole Gospel of John. So it's sort of a prelude to the whole story, the whole Gospel account. And he begins here in the beginning, and so it resonates with kind of Genesis chapter one in the beginning. And so before the beginning, God was, and what we see here is that the Word was, um, and what we're going to see is that the Word is Jesus. Um, there's lots of potential reasons for him describing Jesus that way, but I think the best is that John is setting up the rest of the book in a way for us to see that Jesus, uh, for, to see Jesus for who he is, the powerful self-expression of God. So that's that's who we see that Jesus is, um, and he describes him in by saying he's God's word, uh, and before the beginning, Jesus was there. He was with God and is God Himself which is obviously mind-bending. That's the truth of the Trinity that really is, is, is uh, deep and mysterious. But there's, there's what God tells us that in the beginning He was there and the Word was with Him and the Word was Him. And so He was in the beginning. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All, thing, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, again, he's telling us that Jesus is God. Life came from Jesus. Uh, he's always been. He's always there before before time existed. Jesus was there, and and this this can all be really. This is kind of uh, wonderful and majestic truths. These are very lofty things, uh, but honestly, they feel really far off. And in a moment like this, uh, in a season like this, uh, they can seem extra far off very ethereal. But verse 9 tells us that the true light, which gives light to everyone, Jesus, was coming into the world. So he wasn't staying far off. He wasn't staying just lofty and heavenly. He was coming into the world. And he continues in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And that, that the words he's using there kind of describe that Jesus became our neighbor. He tabernacled amongst us. He lived amongst us. He put on flesh and came to be near to us, not far off. And so the second point that we need to see, so Jesus is God, 
Jesus became human. He became human and is God embodied. That's, that's what we see over and over again. The description of Jesus is that he is God with a body on. And uh, the, the mystery of that or kind of the, the wonder of that strikes me sometimes just in realizing that Jesus went to sleep. He took naps. He, uh, he got tired. He ate food. He got hungry. Uh, and, then, and then even this struck me this week that he could be hurt. Uh, we know that he could be hurt, that he could, he could feel pain, and that ultimately he could die because he did that for us on the cross. And so he is, he is very much embodied in a human body like ours. Uh, he embodied um, our weaknesses as human beings. But John says that he also embodied something else. You see that he was full of grace and truth. John 1, 16 through 18, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So he is full of grace and truth. He's overflowing with grace and truth because it's from his fullness of grace and truth that we receive grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so we see God as a human in Jesus. And as a human, uh, God came to extend grace upon grace to us. How would that grace be delivered is what John's going to work out for us. Um, and if, you, if you're reading through the text, you're going to see that I've, I've obviously skipped over a lot of verses because of our short time. But he's been doing something all along where he's lacing into these first verses another guy named John. And so that might be a little bit confusing. There's John the Baptist and then John the Evangelist who's writing and John the Apostle. Um, and so uh, John the Apostle, John the Disciple, John the Evangelist, all one guy. Uh, and then John the Baptist is another guy. And he's lacing his story into this one. And um, uh, what we see is that John the Baptist, he has an exchange with these religious leaders. And, and John the Baptist <clears throat> is on a mission from God to do something very in particular. And these religious leaders are trying to figure out what it is. It's clear that he's on a mission from God and they're trying to understand what authority he has or what role he's going to play in all of this. And what he ends up explaining is that his God-given role is to get people ready to see Jesus. He is... The very in, in the very best way, a biblical hype man. Uh, came across some inf interesting information about Will Smith recently. He actually started his career as a hype man um, for DJ Jazzy Jeff, uh, interestingly enough. And I think they end up actually flipping uh, roles where Jazzy Jeff kind of came behind Will Smith, if you're into any of that pop culture. But, uh, but the hype man is a very uh, real thing, and it started a long time ago with John the Baptist. He's a very biblical hype man. But he's, he, does something, he, he does something different than Will Smith. He actually doesn't ever take the limelight. He's always trying to do something very particular and point us towards Jesus. And so you see that uh, in John 1, 29 through 31. So keep reading. It says, The next day he saw Jesus. This is John the Baptist after the religious leaders had questioned him. He, it says he, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's always been. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. What he's saying is my whole ministry, my whole life, 
when he set his eyes upon Jesus, he says, all of my life was meant to point to this man. And he calls him something in particular. You see that he says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what does he mean by Lamb of God? He explains it when he says the one who takes away the sin of the world, the one who would uh, sacrifice, he would provide the sacrifice needed to fund the grace of God that we need in order to be reconciled to God. Fascinating thing about this verse is there's a story about Charles Spurgeon, uh, just an epic uh, preacher who actually preached through in the midst of a plague in London and uh, had some really interesting things to say about people's inclination to hear the gospel in the midst of really scary things, uh, scary epidemics. And uh, and he he was doing a sound check in a building one day to, before he preached a sermon, and he just lifted his voice as loud as he could, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the story goes that there was a guy up in the rafters, working on the rafters in the building, and when he heard that, he got saved in that moment. And uh, it's sort of a story about the epicness of Spurgeon as a preacher, but I really think it should be a story about the epicness of this verse, what is being said here that there is a lamb who can take away your sin, who can reconcile you to God. And we, I think we get lost in it when we think of this kind of old-timey language. Behold, we don't, we don't really think of what that means, but he's saying, look at Jesus. He's going to take away all of your sin, all of the poison in your soul that's separating from you, from, you from God, the, 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 the deepest of diseases that's going to kill us, not just in a moment, but for forever. Um, he can take it away. And so my question for you this morning is just what, do, when, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? When you look at Jesus, what are you seeing? Do you see grace embodied toward you? God's grace embodied for you. The one who is overflowing with grace for you. Do you see that? And so if you've drifted into a space where when you see Jesus, you see condemnation or you see guilt or you see shame coming towards you, then you're not seeing what John the Baptist saw and you're not seeing what John the Evangelist means for you to see. They mean for you to see grace coming towards you when he's coming towards you. And quite frankly, you're just not seeing the Jesus of the Bible. We, we contort and we distort our view of Jesus to be something different than what he is. He's the king of all the universe who put on flesh to come toward us with grace. But the thing about seeing grace embodied towards you in Jesus is that you have to be looking at him. That's the other thing I would ask you this morning is, are you looking at Jesus? There's obviously a lot to look at these days instead of him. There are so many different feeds to scroll through. We're actually trying to lace those feeds with God's Word for you in coming days. Um, There's uh, news reports, or there's uh, budgets, or there's um, grocery store lines. There's a million things to look at instead of Jesus. But the question I'm asking is, what, what if Corona didn't rule this season? What if the coronavirus didn't rule this season for us, for you? And I know in some ways it's unavoidable. Uh, it's, it's more than an inconvenience, and it's more than something you're just choosing to give yourself to. But 
it's it is truly wreaking havoc on lives around the world physically for those that are sick financially for those whose jobs have been threatened uh, for those who can't work right now because of uh, school cancellations it, it is truly wreaking havoc in a lot of lives right now and, and we don't want to pretend that away but what if it didn't rule the season rule this moment I think part of what makes it hard for us in engaging with this moment is that we just don't know how this particular chapter is going to end. There, there are lots of unknowns, lots of uncertainty. But I want to remind you of this, that we do know how the story ends. We don't know how the chapter ends, but we know how the story ends. And if you're in Christ, I know how the story ends for you. And so the, the commission for us into this week and even just into the next hour is what Hebrews 12 tells us. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, sink, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, this leg of the race right now, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to him. And this doesn't turn us into ostriches where we stick our heads in the sand and we pretend away things. It doesn't, it doesn't pull us out of the moment. Actually, it allows us to engage in the moment. There's a paradox called the Stockdale Paradox. And it says, uh, the paradox says, retain absolute faith that you can and will survive and at the same time confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. Named after a naval officer who was a POW during Vietnam. And it's this paradox that we actually need to live in, where we confront realities, but with absolute certainty of our survival. And you might think, well, we don't have like absolute certainty about our survival. Um, I'm not talking about that kind of survival. I'm talking about the kind that Jesus is going to reference 17 times in 21 chapters. Life eternal, life eternal, life eternal. He beats this drum over and over again. Jesus loves life. He made it and he wants you to live forever, not for a moment. He wants you to survive. You can engage in the Stockdale Paradox because you know that you'll survive forever. You do have absolute certainty because Jesus has secured it. And so it doesn't make us hide from the moments we're walking through. It allows us to confront them with confidence that we will survive. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get COVID-19. I don't know how my body will react to that. I don't know if there's going to be a belt. You know, it seems that's what the report. It feels like a belt tightened around your chest. Every time I hear that, it feels like a belt tightened around my chest because I have like anxiety about respiratory illness already. Uh, but salvation for me is not wrapped up in, in avoiding a disease. This crazy realization hit me this week. It's just a biblical realization, honestly. I am as safe today as I have ever been. In beholding Jesus, I am free to live right now because I have an anchor point in the future that is secure. As you behold and, be and believe in Jesus, you are fixing your mind on that anchor point, which is the throne of God. That's where Jesus is seated, and he saved you a seat. That's where the Lamb of God is seated, the one who takes away your sin. For every, uh, a friend of mine said it this week, for every 10 looks you take at Corona, take 10 looks at you. Take, uh, for every one look you take at Corona, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every one look you take at your sin, take 10 looks at Jesus. 
I would just encourage you this week, what if you had a 10 to one ratio? It seems crazy, you're like, that's gonna take a lot of time. Maybe, it'll take some of your time. More, probably just redistributing your time, but what if you had a 10 to one ratio this week? Fixing your eyes, beholding and believing in Jesus. I love you, church. Let's press on, press on together.